0: So, is it going?
1: Okay, uh, yeah, it's it's fired. Okay, so, um, shall we shall we start this thing? Yeah. So, what's your name again? Let's get
0: it on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm Hampton Catlin.
1: So, yeah, so here we are with, uh, Hampton Catlin for the Ruby on Rails podcast, Q Music. <laughs> okay, hello, Hampton. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great today, actually. So, you, uh,
1: all the way from I've Canada?
0: Down, yeah, I'm, I'm here in Canada and I've got my, uh, glass of rum and coke right now. Ah, oh, nice. It's afternoon, so... That's <laughs> yeah, it's a, sort
1: of a grim Newcastle day here today.
0: I mean, it was... It's a uh, grim Ontario day here.
1: <laughs> well, yesterday we had lovely sunshine, and the day before we had snow. So, I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Cool.
0: It's it's still winter here, that's what I can say. <sighs> <laughs> it's
1: not good. We need the summer. Are you there? I am indeed. Yeah, yes, you went away. So, okay. Mr... Oh. Uh, sorry, I'm being interrupted by... Skype thing, we can edit this out. Okay, so, uh, what's Hamel?
0: Hamel is my venting of all the frustrations I was having with uh, conventional templating languages.
1: <laughs> Basically. <laughs> well, so um, what kind of a vent is this? Sort of a, a loud vent or a sort of quiet?
0: Yeah, kind of. I don't know. <laughs> Just, uh, I was getting really frustrated with the, I don't know, with like, I think probably like my third Rails project beginning to end, I was like, I kept just doing the same things, and every time, you know, partial, I just felt like they were really big, and I was, like, opening and closing tab, you know, uh, tags, like the little bracket thing on my keyboards were, you know, about to fall off, and, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know, I, I found that, uh, you know, we were, I was working with designers very closely, and, uh, sure. you know, I found that, you know, they were having difficulty with the HTML, especially when we were putting in extra functionality, um, I don't know, like the more complicated sites, Scott, I found that, you know, we really were starting to have difficulty where, you know, if we if we would try to make something more dry or, or more beautiful, it'd generally make it more confusing for them because we'd have to go put it in, in too much pure, pure Ruby. And, right, okay. Uh, so you're, you're putting quite a lot of code in
1: your, your views.
0: Well, I mean, there's things like when you're doing Ajax, like you can't really help it. <laughs> Absolutely, like, yeah. You know, I mean, you can put in the helpers, but then they don't know to look there, and uh I don't know, I sort of one day, I... uh I got frustrated and I opened <laughs> opened up a notepad, just like uh, a Windows notepad. No, Gedit. <laughs> on, uh, Linux and uh, I, uh, I don't know. I just started. I printed out the document that I had, the HTML page I was looking at that I was working on that day. That led me just. I don't know. It felt so ugly and awkward. So I put it in there and I just started changing it. I said, "What?" I wanted to boil it down. I was like, "No, what? What is the least amount of?" Like, how can I take this and start removing the cruft? Like, how can I make it a little more beautiful than what it is right now? So I just started hitting the delete key, and, you know, I it was already indented because I indented my code anyway. I just kept hitting delete, and so I got rid of all the closing tags, and I ended up <laughs> being like, okay, well, you know, I started seeing a pattern here. I was like, okay, well, I mean, I started seeing the DOM come out of it once you start removing all the, like, syntax. things. Like the structure, start-
1: really. It sort of shines exactly. out. Exactly.
0: Yeah, and then I noticed, you know, classes were just hanging Most things were divs. And uh, they had classes attached to them, and I was like, well, you know, w- you know, what if I could remove these attributes the, off the end, and what if I just, what if I made it look more like CSS, because I knew that our designers would probably like that idea. Oh, yeah, so I cool. just sort of, I had fun, I just sort of started, literally it was an experiment, and uh, I guess my own <laughs> youthful frustration with thinking, is this really the best we have? <laughs> like <laughs> You know, it's fine. I mean, I you know, doing PHP and ASP and all these things before, you know, it, the way we do templates is just what we've done. And, you know, it's functional. It's it's certainly fast. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I just was like, yeah, the thing that was really driving me nuts was sort of the nerdy part of my brain that's like, thinking to myself, "What is? what are these templates? Where do they fall in the greater scheme of, of syntax. Like when you do these escape sequences, and then they have special meaning in the middle of an HTML document, basically. <laughs> you sort of have this HTML document, and then I just... And then I'm doing loops inside of it, but, you know, what is... I'm trying to explain this. Like, what's behind it? What What does this mean if I'm actually trying to look at it as a computer scientist or as an actual programmer? Uh, it, could I remove these, these little open and close tags and put quotes there, or like... You know, is everything that's in the HTML part that looks like most of it is that just a big string? And then sure. is everything important? In be- I don't know. It's really so you sort of went
1: through like a quite a complicated distillation process, essentially.
0: Oh, because yeah, basically squeezing thinking, as much
1: of the crap out, you know, and keeping. Yeah, I was stuff. like
0: this, this doesn't feel very pure in any way to me. Uh, yeah. That's sort of what I, I find about traditional templating languages. They're sort of a they were built to originally process text. Um, you know, before we had the web, that's what ERB. I mean, that's what ERB was built for. That obviously wasn't before the web. Sure, but, string. You processing. know, the, a lot of the Perl scripting stuff that used a lot of the same syntax too was. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it, it was just built for. You know, I want to query a, a server and I want to get a response. You know, and that's that's what the sort of the original idea was. I don't think it was so much like, oh, we have XHTML now. Let's. <laughs> I don't think any. I didn't find that anybody had come to the problem saying, you know, we live in a world that's a little bit different now, and how can we uh, come up with an actual templating language that isn't pure programming code, but is a representation of the data behind it? Absolutely. So it's not really just a
1: string, it's like the representation of the DOM.
0: Exactly, that's exactly how how I focus on it. And, you know, I mean, there had been things like uh, Mark could be out there, and, uh, you know, a lot of people still enjoy using that. I I just, I tend to find that um, some things are better at, one job, than another. So for me, I, I find that code is really great for explaining logic. Like, it's fantastic. I mean, I love programming. And programming languages are awesome at, you know, if I want to loop over something or do some math or build an object or do all those sorts of things. But to me, I, I don't personally find them to be the most natural representation of structure, of data, um, okay. which is... a Actually, a particular uh, thing that drives me insane is I, I keep hearing Hamill referred to as Python-esque,
1: <laughs> and it
0: drives me insane. <laughs> well, it there's a co- similarity,
1: doesn't it, with the uh, the space indentation thing? That's it.
0: I mean, <laughs> and I've never even done Python. I wasn't even <laughs> thinking any, like, Python entering into it is, I mean, I don't know. It's like saying, you know, uh, JavaScript is just like C because they use the semicolons on the end or something. I mean, well, like, actually, they're, they're fairly similar i think about it but i don't know just because you know they use a uh, alphanumeric keyboards or something like <laughs> the you know functional languages are just like imperative languages because they both have compilers sure. um yeah i don't know it, it, there's very little besides the fact that some structures is, is using spacing uh and in, indentation i mean to me that was just simply i want to get rid of cruft and uh that was the reason for it, and everything was indented anyway. And that was sort of my one of my original obsessions, was I hated how my viewing source looked on these projects I'd written. Like, I'd worked on these projects, and, you know, I'd literally pour months of my life into them, and then, you know, and all the code behind it, you know, I would strive for beauty in everything I did. And even the templates looked nice from my angle, but when I actually looked at the output, like the the sum total output of everything I'd done is this, lanky, ugly, terrible source code. (laughs) And, I, you know, so I started having little ways, like, to. I would wrap my content for, well, it used to be what, well, it's now yield in your layouts. But I used to wrap that in something called Tabify, and so I'd have it tab automatically, because I just hated that, you know, automatically my templates would be ruined just from the start. Yeah, so like, uh, out of the box,
1: uh, Rails produces the the HTMLs all completely unindented and all sort of over the place, isn't it? Exactly. So is, you, you felt a, a problem with this? I
0: I, I, totally <laughs> Avengers. Well, I just I kept trying to fix it because I just always felt, well, like, oh, you know, if I could do a little bit of extra work and make this better. Sure. And then I sort of realized, I was like, well, why doesn't it do it itself? And I started investigating how to get RHTML to do that properly. Um, and I found out it was possible. I did have a little hack for that. But I kind of wanted, I wanted this idea of structure and annotation to sort of, you know, when I was sitting down to sort of fantasize, like, that's what I was doing. I was <laughs> fantasizing about a syntax. I said, this would be great if I could say this, and it would just magically happen for me. Um, so, yeah, I, that's how, that's how Hamel was invented, sure. uh, so, with, so a, with a sp- Spartan edit screen of white.
1: <laughs> so you took, like, Python-esque <laughs> indentation um, CSS style descriptions and remember. I like to
0: call it, I, hold on, hold on. <laughs> YAML, it's, it's Yam-esque. YAML-esque. Okay, okay. it's structure, just like YAML does.
1: So you, you, you boiled it down and, and you used a lot of similarity with CSS, but then now you I've seen you've started to do the same approach with CSS, more, making it more like Haml.
0: Yeah, that's a so, SAS.
1: Yeah. So what's well, this?
0: I don't know. I, you know, oddly enough, I, the only thing it really shares with Haml is, uh, a love for CSS, but that makes <laughs> sense for a, a, CSS language. Um, but really, I don't know, the, a lot of the things we, we kind of do even create a, well, I sort of mix together Hamel and CSS. Like, I kind of tend towards CSS, though, because, uh, actually, I see Sass as something probably, I don't know, that may actually be more usable than for a general audience of of people than Hamel is, because... Uh, I think designers in general uh, have been finding a lot of frustration with CSS and myself personally too. Every time I use it, I would just think to myself, I'd be like, well, like really nesting was a thing. That was the, the original idea was simply to do a pre-parser on CSS that all that it would do is you could nest CSS inside of like an open tag in CSS and you could put a new one in there and it would magically concatenate the name. Like it would magically build it out for you and, and just make it repetitive. Um, because I kind of realized, like nobody, we're we're not about to, you know, CSS two or three or whatever's next. I guess three or something. It's not going to be out forever, and we got to wait till you know browsers implement and all these things. So I thought, what can I do with current CSS to make it more like something I'd want to work with?
1: Sure. So, and, uh, uh, so you've you've done the same kind of distillation process. You removed all the braces. You've you've got rid of all the. <laughs>
0: yeah, I guess that is like, me and braces don't get along. <laughs> um, well, in some instances, I mean that's. That's a very general. Like, the, the the way I like to approach a problem is just I want to I want to think for this problem how much does it help me. Like, sure. if I was writing a, an actual programming language, I would have I would definitely I don't I don't actually think I would go the Python route. I don't think I would. I don't think I would do indentation based uh, code because I think code should be able to be flattened. I think it should be free to move about on the page, and I think that's part of its beauty. And that's even part of the beauty of XHTML. I won't even I won't even deny that. Um, you know, that it's a better thing that the that the standard underneath, that the base of everything is very clear on opening and closing. I just wanted something easier for me to work with. And same thing with SAF. So, you know, CSS does has sort of limitations built into it. There's no constants, there's no math, you can't, you know, adjust things by adding on a certain amount. You can't change colors. You can't say the you know I can't say take the background from behind this new element and make it lighter. Like you can't say that. You can't modify um, sort of existing variables in the, in in the DOM for styling. But Sass allows uh,
1: to do that, does it?
0: Absolutely. You know, the constants are built in. Well, variables really, um, and also you can do math with them. So um, the example I put on the the site—it's the main example—is one I really like because you can do. You say you just you really say I want the page to be eight hundred wide, and you say I want the sidebar to be two hundred, and then when you actually get down to styling, let's say your your content div, sort of the part that is in the sidebar, whatever you want to call it, everybody has a different name. Whatever you call that, you would say you would take the width of the page and subtract it from the width of the sidebar so that if I want to go change the whole width of the page, everything will magically resize for me. Um, like in the CSS, every time I regenerate the CSS, it will do that for me. Um, actually, another constraint behind task that isn't, Existing in Haml is I wanted it to be it is not actually dynamic it's a pre-compiling language it, it, it can compile into CSS and it generally happens once uh, when you when you install it's bundled with Haml right now um, I, that's one I really want to have implemented it's kind of simple to implement so I want to definitely want to have that multiple languages um, so but now every when you're in production mode when you first launch the server it generates it takes the SAS file compiles it into CSS and drops it into your folder. Um, in your ah, okay. public style sheet. So it's statically served. That was a big thing because I don't want to slow down my servers by having, you know, all of a sudden... Oh, and it gets really complicated because you're like, then you have to worry about people want to pass in, like, you know, theming colors and stuff like that. And, I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, that, that stuff has its place. But I, I really wanted to keep it simple. I want to keep this an idea that we can have SAS and it goes directly into CSS and it only needs to happen once on a production server. Obviously in development every time you reload the page. It generates a new one just so that we can um, we can make sure that you know yeah, so it's a working.
1: Development process, you can process. keep going. Yes.
0: So uh, that w- that was one big stricture. but uh, you know, there's constants. You obviously nest things. Um, it it I, I call it scoping, really, because what I'm doing is I'm I can I can be a much more. See what it really does is it. Uh, Hamill started spoiling us. were at least at Unspace. We started sort of using these. Uh, like we, we'd use classes a lot more to be much more descriptive in our DOMs about in our documents we're creating about what it is we are like every message on the page would have class message along with message underscore and its ID. We sort of the sim, like Hamel has built into it something a lot like simply help, uh, simply helpful's div div for, so it does something like where it'll automatically assign a class and an ID. Um, so in a sense we're doing that every every on the page is starting to be. So I'm, I'm I'm calling this wrapper uh, a message. Well, which message? Because I have messages on three pages, right? It starts to become more important about when I'm actually semantically naming things. Um, it starts to become more and more important that uh, I'm saying, but I want, thi-, you know, on this page, I want a message to do this. Or the general message should have this behavior. Like there's sort of, you could start actually approaching your styling and your, your XHTML documents in a whole different way because you start thinking about This sort of what are the semantics of it? What does it mean to be a message? What does it mean to be a title class of a div with a class title in the inside of a message? That would be different than a title inside of a, I don't know, an article or something like. So the
1: structure starts to sort of come quite clear. So you start exactly.
0: It's using classes as ways to describe the location of things by, um, you know, CSS has a limited way to do this. It just requires you keep repeating yourself every time you want to refer. You can't nest. You have to say like you have to keep repeating it out. And I've met a couple of CSS designers that um, would just k- keep writing it out over and over again. They uh, actually, uh, I know some of you actually indents their CSS and does it nested, but it's not really nested. He just keeps repeating everything from the parent <laughs> by hand. And it becomes, uh, you have to use find and replace a lot if you want to rename something. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, out of seeing that as sort of where, um, oh, and yeah, and doing things like lightning colors, like that's very useful, like, um, you know, you could say I want. I know that my sidebar, no matter what the background color is, I might change it. I want the sidebar to be, you know, ten points lighter than the rest of it, and that's really easy to do. You just type in the color plus ten, you know, and that's it. It just works, and it compiles out into an actual color. You know, it's not. There's nothing fancy going on. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. No, I'm excited about that one because I'm really. Uh, I'm trying right now. I'm trying to build a. Well, it's built. I'm waiting to release it. A, a sort of laboratory where you can go in and, and designers can start ty- they'll get a little bit of sample Sass. They can just start playing with it. They can start typing in their own uh, values and seeing what will come out. And they can, you know, hopefully even people in other technologies, I hope designers might be able to even find use, it, use in it if you're doing .NET. You can go to the site, you can type it in, um, and then you can generate CSS. Cool. So, so in a nutshell,
1: yeah. so why should people look at Hamel and SAS? What's the sort of elevator pitch for it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. Elevator pitch. <laughs> this whole is I, I have really long elevator pitches. I need to be in a really tall building. Um, elevator pitch. <laughs> the uh, great
1: I, gas I, elevator. You know, roll down <laughs> on the way to space.
0: The, <laughs> I I, I Hamel uh, is not for everybody at all, but it is I believe for people who are really uh, anal about their code. They don't like shitty code. They want things to be really well structured. They love they love creating web documents, not just creating websites like people who really sort of, uh, see their sites as something more than just some HTML spread across, uh, you know, some pages with some random data interspersed. if you, if you, if you have any, any inkling towards that, I mean, I would definitely look into NAML. Um, it's not, some people don't, I, well, you know, the thing is the only people I've heard who don't like it are people who aren't actually willing to even try typing even a single line of it. Um, even the – there's only one person I know who was initially skeptical, tried it, and liked it. Um, but, I don't know. But, I, you so know, you whatever. Know. I'm, sure, I'm sure that people have different ways of working. That's not it. I just, I've just i yet to actually sure. meet somebody who's like, yeah, I used it for a week, and then I didn't. Um, <laughs> I ditched it. <laughs> I've yet to meet that. Uh, in general, people tend to be – well, I, I mean, I don't know. I get at least an email or two a day from oh, people nice. just saying – Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I think this is something that's been a long time coming, to be honest. And, uh, you know, I hope other people have better ideas. Great. That's the thing, though. Like, it's not, I actually feel like I've invented the best thing. I just, I hope this sort of breaks open the mold where you can go, maybe we'll rethink about these problems, you know. I think there's ways that we can generate, we can sort of think about coding in a whole new way, and the way we're working on the web, and the way we feel about it. And if we can do that and break out of the mold of what we've been doing for the past decade, I think that'll really, I think there's a lot of ideas yet to be discovered. Um, I think there's a lot of creativity that's just waiting to be released. And that's what I'm really excited to see. What, you know, how does a .NET developer, when they uh, see Hamill, um, wh- what's their reaction? What is, what's the best solution for their tool set? Is there something that they could do that would be like this, but different for them? Um, sure. Actually, yeah, that's, I'm going to be at e in a week, which, well, I don't know, probably be passed by the time this thing hits the uh, airwaves. <laughs> the internet. Um, but, uh yeah, that's that's why I'm really excited about that because there's gonna be PHP and .NET and Java guys here, and I ah, can't great. wait to tell them about ha- Hamel and just see. Actually, you know, my somebody uh, one of my coworkers went to Microsoft the other week, and uh, they were talking about. They were like, "Oh, you guys did Hamel," which was really kind of creepy. So they knew you, apparently
1: <laughs> famous <laughs> in Microsoft.
0: I, I don't even. I don't know. I, I don't even know what to make of that, because he was like he's like you sure you mean like. I don't know. Like are you saying the right word is this guy not understanding like um so who knows maybe the next version of .net will have something like it. <laughs> yeah.
1: so well, yeah. I saw uh, Eric Meyer speak last week at QCon and uh he introduced a load of uh, cool new features for C# Sharp and VB. Most of them are already available in well pretty much all of available in Ruby already, so it's quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so they are, I'm sure they are looking at the community as a whole and trying to find out what's cool and trying to incorporate them with their technology. That,
0: well, that's actually why my friend was there. Right. Or yeah, they just uh, were interested in finding out about Rails and uh, how to integrate it with different other technologies. How to integrate, uh, you know, um, yeah, no, I mean that's the thing is, you know, I don't know. I think a lot of people that have the gut reaction. They go, you know, this is a bad thing that .NET is is, ste- is sort of getting inspiration from a, a post-Rails world, and uh, for me that that's not. I, I don't i don't think that at all I, I think it i i'm not a supporter of microsoft but i think it's fantastic that uh your average microsoft programmer might have a slightly better life because of something that we we did you know yeah exactly I think sure, that, in the way yeah if, if we're gonna be running the path and, yeah exa- well, exactly <laughs> it, it, we've sort of maybe maybe made their day just a little bit better because there's just something that that was obtuse that has been made a little more clear Cool. and uh
1: So you're now at version 1.5 with Hamill, and you've changed the logo again. So you've (laughs) you've gone from butcher to boy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, we kind of realized the first logo, there may have been some rights issue.
1: (laughs) Oh, okay.
0: Uh, Anyhow. (laughs) (laughs) I quite like the new one. It's nice. Well, the new one is 100%, well, public domain, so... (laughs) (laughs) And we can say that securely, and it's not going to be an issue. No, yeah, um... Our new designer, Lucas, came up with that.
1: So uh, you, you introduced Hamill originally at, the, at London for the Rails RailsConf Europe. And uh, I remember reading a quote about it from DHH. And he said, um, I can't help but have respect for a Canadian, although actually you're not quite Canadian, are you? You're American. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's almost right. Who manages to swear more than I did during my vendoritis rant and drink beer at the same time. <laughs> a perfect example of the diversity in the Rails community. So well, i
0: I think it's pretty fucking easy to... <laughs>
1: <laughs> so exactly so you're you're diverse i mean what, what does that mean to you do you think
0: um i'm i I drink, i swear and I, I have sex with men diversity. <laughs> right. uh well i like I like to think that i am uh as a white male uh bringing diversity to the rails community
1: right, that's good, <laughs> it's good
0: <laughs> you know I think uh white males the really a minority. And uh, as long as we cuss more and uh, get funky haircuts, oh, <laughs> it's fun. No, uh,
1: So how is your hair these days? Last time I saw you, you had a sort of a punk. It,
0: it's long and curly right Long now. and curly. Because <laughs> <curly. laughs> I, I know the Rails community, there is one thing that they want to know. There is one question on the lips and minds of every <laughs> Rails programmer out there. What does Hampton's hair look like? Absolutely,
1: today? yeah. Today, exactly.
0: <laughs> Getting emails, you're like, "What are you going to do? An interview with Hampton? You should totally find out what his hair's like." <laughs> yeah, it's, you it's, should it's, have like a
1: site, you know, like every day you have a snapshot of your take hair. Every day, just taking a new shot. <laughs> uh,
0: hey, it's an idea. Cool. Um, yeah, no, yeah. So long and curly.
1: So, do you think that there um, there is much? Uh, there are many gay Ra- Ra- Rails developers. Is it a thing which is unspoken <laughs> about,
0: or? Uh, is that something
1: you, that you, that you're. That I, you're...
0: there are there are more than I think people know. Oh. But. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> yeah. Some of them I've dated. Some of them I haven't. <laughs> but. Uh yeah no um you know the thing is Rails community is very I've never heard anything but I mean I don't you know that's what, so the reason I make the white male joke is because it's like you know. It's a, it's a boys club, but I, I get along in boys clubs. Oh, not like that, but <laughs> no, I I I, You're I digging
1: a hole. Oh. I know.
0: No, I get I get I, I sort of get along with that, and uh, I you know I don't know I, I haven't ever gotten any crap about it or any any that's weirdness good. at all. And actually, I've been more than anything, I've been incredibly impressed with just in general the community. Like, you know, I think that it's more of a general thing to say anyway. It's just that I, I just the Rails community really has. Well, that's some terrible people, but mostly it has just people who tend to not be satisfied with the answers that they're given.
1: Well, some crazy-ass um, people, absolutely, who just don't, yeah, don't willing to say – they aren't willing to accept someone else's answer, you know, they want to go – Exactly,
0: that, just people tend to be much more open-minded uh, uh, about everything. Like, you know, I, I don't tend to find you – know, the thing is you think that – you know, I, I call us the rebellion. Like, you would think that us as the rebellion, we would, you know – Hate the empire, but I, I find that's not true. Most of us have come from working in technologies which are sort of more settled and are uh, perhaps more traditionally minded than uh, Ruby and Rails are. Um, so, I, but I tend to find that we, we tend, like people tend to understand that they they're maybe dissatisfied, but they're always looking for something better. So it's not this like us against them or you know isn't this terrible? We should we should just remove it all and um, mm-hmm. oh actually that's a whole other rant. <laughs> There's one exception to that that drives me nuts. Which you know, is? drives me nuts. It is the uh, Rails Mac obsession.
1: Ah, uh, okay. <laughs>
0: drives, me nuts. drives me
1: nuts. Is that totally. the sort of the similarity between the you're talking about Hamel and the search for beauty, and lot of people see a lot of beauty in the Mac operating system? Is it? There is a lot of Some beauty. similarity in the Mac operating
0: system. There actually is. There's a lot of beauty. It's. I, it, I you know, I'm not, not even to say anything. that, Like I, <laughs> I do have things I could say. <laughs> But not even in a pick with, with any platform. I just uh, I tend to find it gets a little gangy, like uh, people get made fun of for using either Windows or Linux, and uh, to me, that's just not very open. That's not, that's not open. good at all. No. I, I, just, I tend to feel that if somebody wants to develop on Windows or Linux or Mac or Solaris or whatever makes them happy is great. I mean, tell them about your platform, but there's sort of this, uh, I heard a quote one time, somebody said, well, any serious Rails developer uses OS X. Yeah, and uh, cool. I mean, I know for a fact that <laughs> that Y Zed Shaw and myself all use Linux. Absolutely. So yes. you know, I mean, come on, <laughs> that's a that's a craft thing to say. And uh, I mean, I'm not saying everybody would agree with that, but there is sort of this culture of like, uh, use this or you're not actually going with the the uh, the Rails thing. And uh, you know, it drives. The, I, I think actually my biggest criticism is. Uh, to me, the true Rails way would be the MIT-licensed, open-source uh, mindset that sharing is better than not. And uh, unfortunately, at this point, uh, Apple is, has no plans to actually open-source their software. No, it's DRM and, City. Uh, exactly, yeah, and, and they, they tend to embrace it. Um, well, the Rails... the Jobs did say something that he didn't like TRM, but... Yes, true. Yeah.
1: Oh, but I saw, I saw the... Uh, I heard about it in the Rails conference, people walking around... Uh, well, one guy was walking around with certificates of non-conformism you know, for people who weren't using Macs. Oh, really? <laughs> like, that's a awesome. Whole, you know, there's a whole page about people with certificates showing they're like, using Windows or Linux. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I like... It, cause so, it, it, the thing is, I, I just think, uh, you know, it's sort of these... whatever we say that we found the only better way, that's... That's really where you start getting into trouble. Like, I, I mean, Rails is fantastic. I mean, I'm, it's hard to find a bigger Rails not than me these days. But uh, also there's limitations and there's differences. And I, I totally think there are problems in the web that might be solved better on another platform. Uh, I have yet to face them. And, you know, somebody... And, and also somebody will come up with something better later. You know, I sure. hope. <laughs> if this is the best we're going to get, then... Something's messed up, and if, if Max is so, you know, like, it's this idea that we've reached perfection now, or, or we're still, we're barreling towards it, and we're on the right path, and everybody else isn't, and that, you know, I just, I, that just gives me the willies, because I, I tend to prefer the idea that, you know, is a community, as a nerd community, as a, as a human community, like, we are all, we all have different paths that we're working on, and, and whatever makes us happy, uh, makes us happy. Absolutely. The, from operating systems to, you know, where, where you put your uh, sexual genitalia, um, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. No. Just,
1: yeah. Anyhow. Just get along and be happy. You know, that's one of the things that the Rails community to me seems to be one of the, the friendliest communities I've ever met. So hopefully we can get on with our differences between Linux and OS Ten. So anyway, uh, so <laughs> well, tell us about Unspace.
0: Unspace is the company I, I work for here in Toronto. It's the reason I'm uh, an American who's stuck up in the cold. Um, And, uh, yeah, no, it's a a great little place. It was started by uh, uh, Pete Ford and Ryan McMinn, uh, along with Anthony Watts, uh, who's the design side. And uh, Ryan's sort of the business guy, and Pete uh, started doing the coding, and uh, they brought me in about six months after they were founded. And then uh, Jeff Hardy came on board, and uh, now we have a new guy, Mike Farrier, who... We'll, we'll make sure people find out about later. <laughs> we're going to properly pimp him. Um, no, we're just a small little company. We do consulting only. We do hourly consulting.
1: You're um, a Rails-only uh, company.
0: We're Rails-only, yeah. Uh, we have a sister company that actually does access that I'm not really involved in, but uh, Ryan, our business guy, runs both companies. So it always puts him in a bit of a spot. Um, <laughs> cool. Actually, so no, we'll say- I, We've actually had really good luck... Uh, I can't believe I'm about to say this because he goes against 90% of the stuff, I believe. We've actually had some really good experience with using access as a tool with a Rails application. Believe oh, really? It, yeah, as an, as an administrative application. Like, well, you know, when you have to write, you're writing for a client and they're like, well, I want to be able to come in and see how many users were created today. You know, they want to see that. They want a little report. They want, well, can we do a graph of that or something like <laughs> that? And we're like, oh, my goodness. You want to do a graph on the web? Like, I mean, we can do it, but... it's going to take us some time, like, and we do hourly, and we're not cheap, so uh, we're like, I don't know, it's it's always this weird thing when you have to tell a client, well, the web's not really great at that, like, running reports, or saying, you know, what's the most common first name of all my users, or all these stupid things that, well, I think they're stupid, marketing people love them, but (laughs) all these sort of things that people want to do with their data, um, we've actually found that it's quite, you know, with MySQL, we just open it, you know, we just make sure the ODBC ports open access, you know, and a little, it doesn't take much, but it, it'll mate with that. And then we give the client the little access program and he can click and we have it make sure it's protected. He get, he can sort, he can look through, uh, you know, some of them, we allow him to change, you know, if somebody wants to change an email address, the client can then very quickly go into access and change it. Um, you know, I mean, access has a, there's a lot of negative things to say about it in the past, but, um,
1: but if it seems to work, that's great.
0: No, but for that sort of, it's very good at taking us having a, a user who's more of an information worker than a developer, somebody who just works in a company and may, you know can learn very easily how to sort of sort through data and how to run reports on it and how to um, work with that data, and that's you know that's what it's good at, and that's what its original sort of intent was, um, you know. Besides keep you know, obviously people use it for data entry and stuff like that, but we're sort of more using it for the reporting side. Uh, which can be very, you know, our clients love it. I mean, and it saves us a lot of time. We don't have to go in and write some boring scaffold back end for them to, to log in and, and do less than we can do with it. Um, so, anyhow, yeah, in space, uh, yeah, on space. What's we're, the right uh, now, business model-like? We, yeah, that. we do hourly. We, we, uh, we bring in clients who uh, we get along with is one of the biggest things. Um, and we tend to, uh, we, we work... Let me think. <laughs> I'm just to out ways. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we do everything on an hourly basis. We don't have any set budgets. We don't sign contracts, except for the contract that says any work we do will get paid for. Uh, we will do our best to stay inside the budget that we've outlined, but it's only we call them estimates, not not budgets. Um, and we always try to uh, we stay in very close contact with the customer. We tend to grow the applications. We tend to be very very opinionated. About the software, like very. Uh, Yeah. But, you know, clients actually tend to like it because we tend to tell them no a lot. Right. Um, Trying to keep, you know, clients a lot of times will have an idea, especially clients with money. They tend to have ideas and they tend to go, oh, what about this? You just have to say, no, we think that's a bad idea. (laughs) And you'd be so surprised. I think most developers have this problem where we're afraid to say no because we're afraid, well, what if they're not happy? You know, oh, well, they think I'm not a good programmer if I say that's too hard. Um, and that's how I think most contract based web work is just runs massively over budget. Well, not over budget cause there's a set budget, but somebody, somebody on some side of the equation's losing always somebody got a deal or somebody got screwed, whether it's a client or you, that's when you do a set price, uh, nobody ever really knows what they're agreeing to in the beginning. You can spend forever doing specs and you'll never even figure out if it's going to be any good or not. Um. So we tend to rapidly prototype. Uh, the, the budget is generally driven by the client. That's the biggest thing. Clients, but I find, do the, you know, we tell them, you know, uh, I had a client today, we like, uh, it was a stupid little feature, but it was one we didn't have any. He said, well, you know, I, I'm out of, I'm almost out of, we knew he was almost out of money. He said, I want to do a forgot uh, remember me on, our, on the login. And uh, also, a, an email for the forget password or something like that, and a, and a utility for changing and confirming, your, reconfirm your email address. And I said, you know, uh, my first question was, have you gotten a lot of support requests for that? Right. Like, have people been, is this, a, has this been a maintenance? Like, we can do, do it. Do people in the want back? it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, is, is it like we've been having a problem? And uh, he said, no, I just thought we should have it. <laughs> and uh, And I was like, it, we can do it. It'll, it's going to probably take about uh, half a day. And he did a little calculation in his brain on what that cost him. And he said, never mind. Um, so it's sort of this. It actually, But the thing is, that's actually better for the product. I mean, it's a waste of my day if I end up building a uh, you know, forgot password link that nobody uses. And maybe we get one a month right now. Even with a lot of users, we get a, one a month that's, you know, what value is that to him? What value is that to the site, to the quality True. of the site? I mean, some sites you know, need that very quickly. We, you know, if you have users who come and then go away for a long time, they tend to forget passwords and stuff like that. Or Especially as sites get older, they tend to have more and more users who want to come back. They, these are the sort of things we grow onto it, but there's no reason to spend a whole half day, you know, not working on something else and working on that and then coming back to it and saying, oh, you know, well, I wasted half a day as a developer and then You know, if we were on contract, and maybe he'd say, Well, most sites have a forgot password. I assumed you would put that in. And we said, No, that's not on our budget. So then I'd have to spend half my day for money we never put into the original budget. So I'm just losing, you know, I'm just not getting paid because this was never something that I had put into the original budget in my own brain. um,
1: Dave Thomas said in his uh, speech at RailsConf in London, he said one of the things he said was to to try your best to move the risk. You know, from yourself to the clients, you know, because it's essentially well, them making all the decisions, you know,
0: and and they're making the they're they're running the business. Absolutely, I mean, like it's it's their money to make or lose, you know. It's not like I think uh, I think we forget that. Like we, I tend to, I tend to become friends with my clients. I tend to I really do root for the sites. I really do care about them, um, and you know, even though still, I know if they. Part of being non-equity because we don't do equity with our clients unless unless they want to give us a gift, but we won't trade work for equity, um, because we think it's a weird line to cross. But I still, I still feel, you know, like I care about the site and I, I want it to succeed. Um, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs>
1: That's okay. We've got editing to that. We're talking about. <laughs> we're talking about. Um, we're talking about own space. We're talking about yeah booze. Yeah. Um, Let's have another question. About clients
0: carrying budgets, yeah, we just work with them, you know, we've so friends with them So tell us there. about
1: conferences
0: Oh, I can tell you about conferences. <laughs> tell us about I,
1: conferences, Hampton
0: I don't know what happened, somebody waved some sort of Well, okay, so I'll tell you about conferences, I did my, I did the Realist Conference for Europe, went over very well, had a great time sort of put a, a good show uh, as, I, as I like to do and uh, <clears throat> so uh, I, I just was like, well, he- heck I'll just start, I'll uh, start applying to like a fuckload of conferences, I'll just go to like you know, I started. I was like, I'll do the Ubuntu conference, and you know, I knew E Tech would be a huge stretch, but I was like, E Tech, you know, regular Rails conf, <laughs> and I was, and then I got, I just over the days was like, uh, propo- from O'Reilly Media, proposal accepted, proposal accepted, proposal accepted. Um, so that was three, and then uh, somebody jokingly said, "Hey, the MySQL conference doesn't have enough. Uh, not, they don't have a big Rails track," and uh, <laughs> so I sent V. Uh, mcmillan at, at raleigh i was like hey do you guys need somebody to talk about rails at uh, at the MySQL conference and uh she's like sure <laughs> Why so you're don't going to you talk go?
1: about migrations
0: yeah yeah that's the um yeah that's so yeah let me see i'm doing uh next week which probably won't be on time i'm gonna be at ETEch doing uh it's gonna be my last hamil talk i think uh right. at least for now um,
1: semantic Rebellion in Template yeah, Land. Yeah, Semantic <laughs> Rebellion in
0: Template Land. That's what I'm really hoping to crack into sort of the other technology. So I'm doing that uh, next week, what, late March. Um, and then after that is my sequel where I'm doing, uh, I'm doing a thing about migrations. Yeah, so c- the idea was I thought – it's sort of the same idea I was talking about when I said I really want the things we're doing, the ideas we're having, the, the, the freedoms that Rails has given us and Ruby to think out of the box – you know, what are these ideas we've come up with and how can they be applied to other technologies that are perhaps more traditional? And uh, one of the first things I thought of that had to do with databases was versioning databases. This is sure. something that you just, they, they don't do. You know, these DBAs are out there and they're pulling their hair out working with a Perl programmer and going, oh, you changed the database? Well, we're going to production. Did you write me a conversion? Like, what's the C- SQL for this? How am I going to do this? Oh, no. You know, <laughs> or they, they put up a site and it breaks. And... Um, you know and that 's rails very quickly had uh, you know migrations added to it and uh, rather early in life and uh, that was a fantastic addition i mean that 's really changed the way that uh, we handle our databases yeah, and a I figured right you know they're not going to people in other technologies aren't going to use ruby on Rails migrations. But it's that idea, it's what's behind it that's important. It's this, you know, we had this idea as a community, we need to share this. Like, you know, maybe, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the MySQL people came, like, I, I would love it if they did, this would be my dream, that they came out just being inspired by Rails, they came out with their own way to version MySQL databases, just a little utility or something where you can save a file that, or, you know, a series of files that have instructions on, on converting data. Um, you know, or just a way to version SQL conversion files, or, like, uh, files for migrations. Or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, or, you know, choose your language. Um, but, you know, something like that would be really, really powerful. Like, that, I think that would, I think there's an idea that could really change other sector, sectors of our, uh, like, you know.
1: Sure. I mean, I'm sure... I hear there's, think. like, a number of uh, actual Java shops which are just using Ruby for migrations
0: for yeah, database. I, I really haven't heard that.
1: Yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> so I, just
0: I w- just I take,
1: did. Just take the Ruby and the migrations a bit, and just use that in their projects, you know, and it works fine.
0: Yeah, well, that's... I'm hoping to... You know, maybe they won't have to do that, because that, that's kind of... I mean, I'm glad they're using Ruby, but <laughs> you should probably be sticking in their own uh, framework, at least when you're working on something. Um, cool. And so tell yeah, us then, about
1: uh, RailsConf. You're doing a talk on uh, um, RESTful um, abstractions.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny. They actually, I had I put in... Uh, I actually kind of put in two talks. I put in... One talk with my uh i put in one talk as myself, and that was i was gonna try to do another Hamel talk because I figured Hamel has wasn't actually it hasn't been at the main RailsConf yet and uh the international one uh and uh so I wanted to do you know i wanted to give that another try uh unfortunately i turned it down um but they did take uh, jeff party uh one of my friends uh and coworkers um we we put in the so maybe, it was sort of the talk, another talk I wanted to give. We sort of put in his name too. He didn't even know we were actually putting it in his name, <laughs> and we put me on as a co-speaker. And uh, yeah, that one ended up getting accepted. And it's for um, a new REST, uh, a new REST abstraction that we've invented in house to use on our projects at Unspaced. Um, yeah, first thing that happened was we started. We we went to RailsConf Europe. And we saw DHH's keynote, and that was the first time I I had been anti. There's, you know, the internet keeps around opinions you had in the past uh, <laughs> way too well. Um, I'll probably be embarrassed by this podcast in a couple of years because like, gosh, I was totally missing that. Um, but uh, I was uh, I didn't like Crest initially, and I saw his talk, and I really I really sort of got it. I was like, wow, like now I see that in... eight, like especially when he had a. Uh, an active Resource or whatever, I, I I really got, I was like, APIs aren't just sort of obscure. To me, they'd always been this sort of nirvana ideal. Like They were just like, well, wouldn't this be cute if we could integrate with other applications? And people were talking about it. The marketing douches were kind of talking about it. And I was sort of like, I, I don't know. It just it never really hit me until I saw DHH open up, build a quick little uh, resource sort of reader thing and... Just started, you know, interacting with the database, even though he wasn't directly connecting to the database to the web service. And I was like, he did finds and all, you know, like it was absolutely like it was a local am- thing, yeah. Could yeah, exactly. And that, that just totally, that really drove it home for me. I'm like, this is what we need to do.
1: Absolutely. So, so we go,
0: we go back uh, home, and we started doing a couple of projects. We're using the uh, resource scaffolding, uh, which I think is how most of us got started using it, and. Uh, so we started using that, and we started finding, like, we'd want to nest some resources, and there's almost no security built into that scaffolding at all. We f- it, it's we found it really slow to handwrite our own. Like, that was not, you know, I, I like to be a very, very, very fast programmer. I pride myself on my ability to add features very, very, very quickly. So, you know, for me to want to add comments to something, and it would take, I'd have to go, okay, well... Let me go copy and paste or my index action. And the, or let me go, you know, look it up. Or let me try to remember and retype the same thing again. Um, but, you know, build in whatever security I needed to it. And I, I just sort of started seeing these patterns happening. And so Jeff actually took, he was sort of the initial spark on this. He took the application. He took it. Sorry, he made it a little, something in the lib folder. So you would include a, a REST controller. All right. Yeah, I guess you'd inherit from it. Yeah, uh, I forget how that one, initial one was implemented, and I sort of liked it. I was, I was like, "Sweet, I now I don't have to keep rewriting this stuff." Uh, but obviously, like, there was no way to say to turn off different things. There was no way to customize it, um, and uh, so it's. I started thinking about it. I started thinking, well, you know, what are we really doing? I started looking at the patterns that I was doing. I was the parts that I was repeating in every single one of the rest calls. Like, you know, when we're thinking in this. Uh, like, for instance, the, generally it was always the name of the controller. Uh, so, like, uh, let's say messages controller. And then I would know that the message class model is what I wanted because that's, like, we, if, as long as you name your controller after, uh, sorry, as long as your controller is named after the model, um, you can, without even any special thing, make a very good guess, at least, at what the model is. And, you know, with a little metaprogramming magic, we can load up that class and ask it to do a find all. You know, uh, that gives us the... And and then every time I want to take whatever that collection is, uh, a little more metaprogramming, I'd like to name it at messages, and I'd like to make that available to my HTML template. And uh, then I'd like to also call 2XML on it, perhaps, uh, and uh, also make that instantly available as an XML feed. Or maybe I want to tell it to turn on RSS, which would magically change my response block. Anyhow, so I started sort of... I started thinking in that zone, and I started thinking... About what are the, what am I changing? What is the part that changes? Where would I, where is most useful if I had like callbacks perhaps built into something? I sort of thought, you know, maybe there's an after create or an after index or a response for index method I could sort of override. I I don't know. I was sort of thinking in these sort of, and I went through a couple of very experimental prototype versions of the syntax. And uh, actually, one of the prototypes, we're actually using it in all of our current projects right now. Um, sort of how Hamill started, we started using it internally first for actual okay, projects so actually in the
1: real, real world.
0: Yeah, we're. I mean, heck, it's ProjectBreakout.com is using it. That's um, <laughs> actually full rest resources built out of. Um, it's called Let It Rest. Sorry, is the, what it has ended up coming out of it, and the syntax we have come up with now, and the way to implement it is, it's. I have to. I have to say. I, I was at first skeptical because I just didn't know. Nobody's been able so far to take controllers and do anything with them. Really. I mean, I've sure. yet to see anything that's been like, Oh wow. You just improved controllers. Um, they've sort of been that zone. We don't touch also along with action view, right? I mean, active record is this fantastic little library that, that's in rails, but Action controller. I mean, it's got some nice stuff in it. It's pretty simple. I just define the actions I want. and They just kind of happen. Um, you know, I sort of hand load up most stuff or I hand code what URLs I want and I make those work with routes. And then, you know, action view, I wasn't really thrilled with our HTML, so I sort of... And so this is sort of me getting pissed off about just doing the same fucking freaking... uh, (laughs) You can beep it. Repetition. Um, Yeah, I can do this. I would keep doing... Yeah, same thing every time. And so, anyhow, uh, it's worked out really well. What what it's ended up doing is the amount of time it takes to implement now a controller... um, for something basic or complex, is much shorter. Um, I, <laughs> my, uh, my thing is I can implement a, a comment controller in about three to four minutes right. um, and, and have comments working. Um, and one of the, you know what's one of the other things really interesting that it's led me to? Is if I sort of, by constricting away my controller... I mean, there's a lot of hooks in there to do custom things, right? I made sure there was lots of hooks, lots of overrides, lots of ways to make sure your variables are scoped so I can, like, when there's a nested chain, I'm preloading everything in my URL, my REST resource nested URL. Anyhow, I'm preloading it all, and I'm doing all this magic. But it sort of constrains you, too. In a way, like, I don't... Every time I have to write an uh, after-create or after-show index or call or something like that or after-create fails... um, any of these callbacks, and I have to implement them. I always feel a little, well, dirty. Because I'm like, this, like, I, my model should be able to make some of these decisions itself. Like, if I tell a model to create itself, whatever I pass in as params through the the web service, through the controller, by the time I get a create command at at this model, like, I shouldn't really be needing to do stuff around it. Like a very well-built model is a model that truly itself is intelligent about how it needs to behave, and I mean, uh, so as an example of this, uh, I'll try not to get too complicated. Uh, we're doing an online application system uh, for a, a Canadian government thing, and one of the one of the sort of design uh, ideas we had was that th- this is a, these applications. There's a lot of them, and they change often. So we really uh, wanted it to be easy to go in and uh, at will modify the views, which would actually, when you, like when you view an application page, the moment you hit save is when all these key value pairs are saved, which are what are on the page. Um, sort of the, the, the realization was that we don't actually have to put, if somebody wants to put in a fake field or remove one, they're making themselves, uh, well, they're going to either get themselves in trouble or make themselves ineligible, um, because in the end process, when all this gets printed out, and a jury looks at it to make the—it's a grant system, anyhow—and you they actually have to make the decision on it that um, like disqualifies them, just like a normal application. If you have a physical paper application, I cannot fill out a field or write in something on the side at will, right? I mean, the, what I'm trying to say is we, we sort of got, came up with this idea that we should have sort of dynamic uh, field names, basically, and I ended up being able to do something with my parameters um, by using an a- attribute reader. I was attribute writer um, called update attributes and I was able to do using the uh, by using the uh, Rails sort of parameters way I was able to have it so that i didn't have to change the for the entire for running the entire application the controller is five lines long that's amazing that's for everything <laughs> because the deal is the model is concerned the model takes in the parameters and it so thing control of that it model. makes it, Right, right, exactly. Yes. Who did it? That was uh, Jameis? Y-
1: yeah, exactly, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was the fat femme, uh, fat, fat model, skinny controller thing. So that's that's exactly. And the thing is, Let It Rest totally almost, it encourages you to do that because I could have said, well, I want to pre-process a little. And if I say, no, 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 my model needs to be able to make the, these proper decisions. like, um, And especially like it auto, uh, it'll do auto associations for you. Let It Rest will because uh, especially if you have a, you can tell it to to force an association. So, like, if you create a new message, I say force association with, and then I put colon user. And that'll make sure it goes in, a, it assumes a, a method called current user, which is a pattern we use. Uh, I think I blogged about it a while ago. Um, actually, I saw James using it on, on the uh, Railsway blog, too. Um, but current user, you sort of use that. It, it Current underscore anything means... Uh, it's probably pulling it out of session instead of out of the params or out of some other, uh, value. Like it's something that'll exist across the site. So anyhow, so you can tell it every time somebody creates a message, whatever, it'll automatically take current user and assign it to the, the user property of that model. Um, so it sort of gives you this nice little way of, um, magically like I did, that's all I'd write. I wrote one line and then for every edit, update, create, it makes intelligent decisions that are good defaults. Um, so, that, that's so you're like, just that's uh, really specifying
1: where your design sort of differs from the default?
0: Yes, and towards convention, too. I mean, right. that's, you know, at UnSpace we've done eight Rails projects now? Fairly large ones, like pretty dang large, and... Uh, you know, not eBay or anything or NASA or Google <laughs> or something, but, you know, uh, large enough. Um, so we've been doing we, – we have to do projects very quickly. And this isn't counting personal projects, which is probably eight of those two we've all just launched for fun, um, little web experiments. So you take all that together and we start – you know, I, th- I think we're in a unique position as a company because there's not a lot of people who've done a lot of Rails applications. You know, And this is just talking – since we all started at Unspace – um, you know, before that we were all doing it too. Um, so just it's it, it's interesting because uh, I don't know we we sort of can come, like it puts us in a unique position to try out and experiment with sort of these solutions um, and make sure they're production ready. Make sure that I you know you're happy using than,
1: them yourself. You eat your own dog food.
0: <laughs> absolutely, because I need them because I, I do so many projects that. I, you know, we all get all of us get very frustrated very with having to repeat things. Like, I've noticed that startups that work on, you know, let's say one project and they will work on it for two years until they launch the site, and uh, you, you know, like full time job kind of, you know, and, and a lot of people work at places like that. And, and the deal is you don't, like, they're the, like, for instance, they haven't even gotten to try Hamel uh, because they just they they already have so much legacy code sitting there that they don't want to, you know, they have other developers so they can't really experiment and uh generally there's they're basically running off pre rails one point code because they've been working for about a year and you know they were doing their emailers the wrong way the old way and they weren't you know like there's all these things that were you know like uh i think every one of our current projects that on space is, is uh one point two at least um if not generally on edge so you know it just it puts us as a contractor in rails we get this really weird you know it's such a new technology that there's not many people who get to just um, you know, like I'm oh, starting right. another project in like three weeks. So in the next three weeks, I'm just there's another one. I'm going to get started. And I'll probably use the second version of Let It Rest, the one that we're going to reveal at um sorry at, uh, at RailsConf. So is this um, thing
1: out yet? Then can I download it and use it in my? No,
0: no, no, you
1: can't.
0: Because oh. we're currently still using the teasing
1: version. us all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll be out soon. So. Uh... Uh, I- I mean, I had time. where all these projects and all these, uh, and, and just keeping up with Hamill and the Hamill one point five, and you know, I'm I'm now uh, working on a, a book and yeah.
1: So tell us about uh, the book.
0: Yeah, I'm working <laughs> on it with uh, well Jeff. Jeff and I do everything together. <laughs> um, <laughs> just <laughs> we're, yeah. So and uh, Clovis Carnero. and uh, it's I, I've sort of hopped in late on this thing. And uh, No, it's actually I'm extremely. It's one of the things I'm more excited about.
1: So what's it? Well, I'm very
0: excited about a lot of things. It's, a, a, beginning book? Book. it's no. a beginning Rails book. It's right. a beginning Rails book for actual true beginners. Most people listening to this will find it quite boring, um, very slow because it, it, you know the Agile book, the Agile Rails book, is uh it, it it assumes that you know a lot when you walk into it. Like you yeah, yeah. need to know what an object is in general. Like he gives a very cursory introduction, but in general, you know. You you're supposed to have some technical knowledge. It's written for people who have done coding before, and especially web coding before. Um, so we're kind of really trying to write a book for the actual beginners. You know, if your if your brother or sister says, you know, oh, I want to learn Rails, you, this is the <laughs> kind of book. Them because it just. i have seen this web speed. development
1: malarkey. I want to give it a try.
0: Exactly. How I mean, do we, I we don't necessarily cover. We don't really cover HTML. We assume you at least know some HTML. But do you assume
1: that, uh, people have a Mac?
0: <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Shortest installation instructions are for Ubuntu. Cause that's, really, that's actually the third talk I'm doing, but a whole other nice. subject. is about installing Rails on Ubuntu and running Ubuntu servers. Um, yeah, so actually, I'm. So it's I'm a book
1: just, for, for beginners?
0: Beginners. And uh, it's really, you know, I, I've come on it very, very late, uh, like the support batter or something. But I've I've sort of been tangentially involved with it emotionally and spiritually for a while now, and uh, it's really shaping out. I think I'm very, very honored to even get to work on this thing because it's really coming out fantastically. Like I I think, uh, who knows? Maybe it'll be a huge flop. But I I think this is the kind of book I would recommend to somebody else, and uh, I don't say that lightly because there's a lot of really crappy Rails books out there right now, Um, and there's some really great ones too. That's not hitting anybody else, but you know. you know, I'm totally going to... Is there defamation laws? You know you know what's the worst single Rails book that has ever existed on this planet?
1: Oh, if, I, I want to
0: send a copy of this to DHH because I think he would, like, he'd begin to cry and he would throw it and he would tear it in half and, and run down the street and, <laughs> like, strip off his clothes screaming, you know, uh, stuff. have not understood
1: me. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the it's the W. Rocks Rails book. W. Rocks Rails. I, I haven't heard of that one. Ugh. Oh.
1: <laughs> That's probably a good thing.
0: Because, we, we, you know, we've been, to to learn about, you know, to, uh, to, to find out, we want to really find out, like, we've been doing a lot of research trying to find out what makes a really good beginner's book, and what do the books out there right now cover, and how can we make sure we cover the right things, and what did they do right, and what did they do wrong? Like, we're really trying to, you know, uh, we're way behind schedule, but uh, it should be coming out in May. Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, we, we really wanted to concentrate on these ideas, so we bought this book, and I I don't think the guy actually knows... Uh, Who's the publisher? It, it, w Rocks.
1: Oh, they actually are the publisher.
0: Yeah, isn't that a... Uh, I'm Google searching. See, I didn't everybody really Google. No, because you know it's actually worth... Um, I normally would be very, very nice about this. Uh, I just want to make... Yeah, yeah! Dr. Stephen Holzer. I would like to have a conversation with you, Mr. Stephen Holzer. Um, the, the book goes in a completely random order uh, it doesn't even cover it's not written with objects nearly at all active record I don't even think he covers like it barely covers associations the projects uh, the HTML is all invalid uh, he, he it's a beginner even, book it's a beginner book and he doesn't even seem to know how to code Ruby like it's not even Ruby Like you know I, I gosh, <laughs> I'm being harsh here and then you know Somebody's gonna read our book and just be like, Oh, look, these guys have made a small mistake. No, this guy does not. He he's apparently the back cover says he has published, um, I think it's something like a uh, hundred books or something like that.
1: Uh if prolific we, writer.
0: We, yeah, prolific I think is a nice term for it. Um, <laughs> just turns them out. And it's like, oh, oh see so, you know, here I'm gonna be um you know, mean against Windows. But uh Yeah, you no, know, they're all Windows screenshots of using like actual windows notepad and oh he uses ie which I, i'm sorry you know that, there's no excuse for that but use opera or actually use what you want but don't write a book about it um <laughs> no it's just i can't even explain to you how bad it is please don't buy this book so, I,
1: so the, the book you're writing while well, you're helping me <laughs> <with.
0: laughs> i'm done with my rant <laughs> keep <laughs> ranting
1: no so uh, you how, can how'd...
0: quote it if you want no
1: absolutely so where where, where was the most most of the writing actually taken place? Did you do it at your desk? Right now I'm, a,
0: I'm, a, I'm a, uh, Jeff's wife is a teacher and she's at work, and I'm taking a break out of our writing today to to do this interview. Uh, no, we we're mostly uh, well. One of our co- uh, Clovis is in Dubai, which makes collaborating with him kind of hard. But I uh, know <laughs> I'm here in Font Hill, Ontario, which is a a huge town of literally hundreds, and. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, Jeff has a huge sprawling house, of course, because uh, it's uh, in the middle of nowhere, and they're cheap. Uh, unlike me in the city, we're, you know, pay per inch. Um, <laughs> no, we just have a writing at home uh, at his house mostly every week. And
1: uh, So how, yeah. how, do you have any advice for people who want to potentially write a book? You don't know, do it. Don't do it.
0: No, don't do it. <laughs> um, it really is hard especially if you want to do it well. I mean, I think I could have written a Holzner-esque book uh, pretty easily. Just kept, just keep typing, don't make grammar mistakes, do a lot of screenshots, type in code. Like, I think, it, to be honest, he wrote the book while I was learning Rails and Ruby at the same time. Uh, it's pretty clear. And, uh, you know, I, I could have, we could have done that. Like, if, if you want to write a crappy book, go for it. You can brag about it, tell your friends. Your mom will be really impressed and proud of you. Um, you won't make any money, but it's all right unless you're at 100 then you might you know be doing all right but um no i think it, it's 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 a i don't know i'd heard the term labor of love before It's, i mean uh you know coming onto this book for me it was actually a, a hard decision um with all the stuff going on because uh but you know in the end uh it was really like you know how much value is it to be able to say author of uh which is quite a flattering title except it's you know, what's that worth at what point in your life? And, and can you be proud of that work? You know, how many people can just come to be an author of a book that's just not very good? And, uh, you know, it's sort of uh, – I think if you have a passion for writing, start writing it. You know, write the book before you get a publisher. That's probably what I'd say too. Just start writing. If you can do it without a publisher, then it's about the same as doing it with one. Um, you, if you walked into a publisher today with any sort of Rails book and it was half-written, uh, you would instantly be brought on board, but do the first half, write half of a book before you bring it there, because you don't, you know, it's more fun when you're doing it yourself. And you're also realizing how incredibly hard it is to explain yourself well. And, uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's stressful. It's difficult. You worry about it. You, you know, just like when I always take showers and think about my coding, but sometimes now I take a shower and I think, Oh, well, I can explain this better. Or maybe this chapter could be cleaned up a little, or maybe this should be our example. Um, it's you know, a yeah, constant refactoring
1: the, like, process, then, really.
0: actually, I mean, if you don't have a job or something and you want something to do, write <laughs> a book, go for it. But if you actually have to you know, pay bills and keep working and you know, run open-source projects and travel speaking, <laughs> <laughs> if, you want, if you want to do all that together, I would not recommend it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, whatever. It's a personal decision everybody has to make. If you can't write, don't do it. Um, please, there's enough terrible books out there. We, should, we need to make sure we have good books out there. Um, I'm talking to you, Dr. Steve Holzner, PhD. <laughs>
1: um, right. Well, less of the uh, PhD hatred here. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: How, yeah. PhDs are great. I'm, I'm a, I'm well, a, they're not at all, to be honest. They <laughs>
1: They're a nightmare. I mean, I'm still writing my thesis up as well, and all the advice you've given about don't do it, I think, <laughs> absolutely applies. It's really very hard.
0: Um, no, yeah, that's, actually, it's very true. It's like getting a doctorate. Yeah, it's it's nice to... You know, it's something that, that will never go away, and sure, that make, that makes it better, but um, yeah. so does herpes. I mean, you know.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> but uh, was it worth it to get it? That's the real question. That's the question. Sometimes <laughs> it is. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Joking.
1: So, have um, you um, got anything else to say? Anything to, to shout out whilst you're, you're, you're on your uh, platform? Your plinth of right. honor? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah plinth of honor. Yeah. Doesn't feel very honorable. But, I mean, no, it is. I don't. Yeah. Uh, what would I say? I have I have a lot of things that I'm able to rant about, uh, so I don't even know what the last one would be. But uh, except for uh, give Hamill a try. Oh yeah, there we go. That would be my thing. And uh, if you think you can do something better, then do it because I'd love to. I'd love to use it. Um, <laughs> yeah, give it a try. Uh, yes, it looks weird for the first couple minutes you look at it, but then very quickly, if you know CSS, your brain will start to parse it. I promise. Uh, maybe I should, I should do. No, I won't do it. I could do like a, I could do like a. Uh, a challenge or something like you know, if anybody <laughs> uses it and really can say they actually hate it after they give it a real good try, you,
1: you know, give them the okay. money back.
0: Give them a lollipop. Yeah, the money <laughs> back. My open source code. Um, no, but yeah, I just I encourage pe- people tend to be afraid to actually try something new. It's easy to change your application layout. That's the good one because that'll actually make sure your whole page looks better. And uh,
1: and when yeah. uh, when will let it rest be out for people to play around? I will probably be to release it in RailsConf.
0: I, mean, I think well, that's, you know, we, we didn't release Hamill until we were actually at the conference in London. So, you know, I think I'll probably do the same thing again. It's kind of fun to to give a world debut. The the syntax It's current, there, there is some syntax you can see on the web about it right now, but uh, it is not the official syntax, and it won't be what's in the final release. We're kind of cleaning it up and doing some crazy new cool Ruby things to make it more fun to write out your controllers. Cool. So stay tuned for that. For controller love.
1: Okay, well, thank you very much, Hampton. It's been lovely to speak to you. I think so. Uh, hope, Have a great time. Hope the weather improves in Ontario and the summer yeah, comes same, sooner same than Same thing
0: for, for old dreary New uh, Britannia.
1: <laughs> old blighty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, All nice right. speaking to you. Take care. Thanks, okay, man. Goodbye. Bye. All right.